that the concept of thanks should certainly apply today uh, for our worship because our worship today uh, centers around the Lord's Supper. Uh, and as we partake of the elements of the Lord's Supper, the bread and the cup, uh, we remember the love of God in giving us Jesus Christ and the sacrifice that Jesus made as he died on the cross in our place for our sins. So we uh, establish a foundation. Why did Jesus have to come and die for us? Well, the Bible gives us some answers for that. In Romans 3, the Apostle Paul writes, and he says, There is none righteous. No, not one. And then in verse 23, Paul says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's true of all of us, that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all sinned and separated us from God. Then the Bible also teaches us about the fact that Christ comes and especially uh, described in Isaiah 53 as that suffering servant, the Messiah who would come, and that he would be wounded for us. Because Isaiah says he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. The bottom line is, is that we've all sinned, and our sin separates us from God. And God is holy and righteous. And he demands a perfect sacrifice for the forgiveness of our sins, a perfect sacrifice to atone for our sins. And so the only perfect sacrifice could be that he would send Jesus to earth. And Jesus would come to earth as God in the flesh, live a perfect life, and then die on the cross in our place to meet the demands of a righteous God to bring us into a relationship with God where we would experience being his children. So we gather today. Celebrating the Lord's Supper to remember God's love and the sacrifice of Jesus. And we do it in the context of celebrating the Lord's Supper. It could be seen as a meal that we share in together, a common meal that we share in together. For Since June 7th until yesterday, we had a great deal of emphasis upon uh, feeding children everywhere in our Saying Grace campaign and culminated yesterday in, in uh 100, over 101,000 meals being bagged, and, and that was just a great day. So I was thinking about meals, you know, and, and how many uh, families will be able to have meals because of what you gave and because of what you did. And I got thinking about the high cost of eating out. More and more, it's costing more and more for families to go out and eat, isn't it? But then I found some things that maybe make that cost kind of pale in comparison there's a certain restaurant in Tokyo where you can get a bowl of ramen for $110. Now, don't they sell that stuff for about 3 or 4 for a dollar in the grocery store? I don't know what they do to it. Now, if you love hot dogs, okay? The, hot, the capital dog in Sacramento, California, serves up what they call the ultra dog. It's the world's most expensive hot dog at $145.99. Guaranteed to give you heartburn one way or the other, okay? Then the Western Hotel in New York City offers a white truffle bagel that sells for about $1,000. And also in New York City, for $1,000, you can indulge in a golden opulence sundae. And it contains some rare cocoa beans harvested off the coast of Venezuela. And then in Italy, uh, Chef Viola's Louis XIII pizza which is loaded with lobster, caviar, eight different types of cheese, and seasoned with hand-picked pink Australian river salt, sells for $12,000. That's walk-in and carry-out. I don't know about delivery. 
okay? Now, those meals are just, I mean, outrageously expensive, aren't they? But when we really think about this meal that we call the Lord's Supper, you think about the expense of this meal. God, out of his loving heart, gave us his son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus, out of his love for us, that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance, gave his life on the cross so that we could be forgiven of our sins. We come together today to remember that and to give thanks from the table. We find our passage of Scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 23, when the Apostle Paul reminds us of the gathering around this table. He writes and says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. In that passage of Scripture, we're reminded that Jesus has told us to remember his death and the reason why. And isn't it interesting, at least I can't find anywhere in the Scriptures where Jesus calls us to remember his birth. But we, we have a big celebration around Christmas, don't we? Some of it maybe is not at all related to celebrating his birth, but we think so. But it's interesting, Jesus never told us to do that. But he tells us, commands us in this ordinance that we cherish to remember his death. And so we do so in what he gave to us in the elements of the bread and the cup. And that is that the Lord's Supper is a great object lesson. It's a great object lesson and a spiritual truth at the same time. Let me make four quick observations about this precious meal that we celebrate today. First of all, the Lord's Supper is a very simple act. The scripture says the Lord Jesus on the night in which he was betrayed took bread. Bread was a staple of life. There's no telling how many times he and his disciple over three, three and a half year period of time had broken bread together. That's an expression about having a meal together, breaking bread. And bread is used as a staff of life, that we have to have food to nourish our bodies in order to live. But they always broke bread together and would eat together. And some scholars say that Jesus celebrated three, others say four Passovers with his disciples. And certainly they would always break the unleavened bread in celebrating that. And so it's a very simple act that Jesus took that night, a common experience that they all knew and had shared in with him before a meal around the table and interchanging it with the Passover. And Jesus took bread. It's an interesting thing about bread. As I try to diet, which I've been trying to do for the last several weeks, bread is one of the most difficult things for me to give up because I love it. But I found some interesting things about bread. The number of feet of the longest loaf of bread in the world made at a baker's party in Portugal in 2005 was 3,975 feet long, and it fed 15,000 people when it was sliced. That's quite a loaf of bread, isn't it? 1777 was the year that the wheat crop was first planted in America, and it was called a hobby crop. I'm not sure why I thought it was planted for food, but it was planted as a hobby crop. Now, many of us have used the expression, uh, the greatest thing since sliced bread. Do you know how long that's been around? Well, Gager, any, any guess on that? When did, when did sliced bread appear? 
1928. Anybody remembers that? You've been around a long time. Yeah. Then, a family of four could live off of the bread produced by one acre of wheat for 10 years. Isn't that amazing? I found out that there are six classifications of wheat. Six classifications of wheat. I also found out, since I'm not in the bread baking uh, business, that it takes anywhere from an hour and a half to two hours for the yeast commonly used to make the bread rise work and do what it's supposed to do. And then this final thought about bread. A single loaf of bread or portions of bread like we use, when taken together at communion, is a powerful symbol of our Christian unity. Because in 1 Corinthians 10, 17, Paul would write and say, Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all share the one loaf. You see, Jesus did something very simple. A very simple act of taking that which was on the table at all times, bread. He took bread and he broke it. We will take bread in a few moments. But it should have a different meaning for us altogether when we understand the significance of this. It was a simple act. Now, the second observation is the Lord's Supper is a spiritual reminder. The Scripture tells us, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. It's a spiritual reminder. That's why we do it as often as we do in celebrating, sharing in this meal together. We're to remember what Jesus did for us on the cross. We should remember that agonizing prayer that Jesus offered uh, where his perspiration was like drops of blood and he wrestled with his will and God's will and his Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass, let it pass, but nevertheless, not my will but yours be done. And then as soon as those words fell from his lips, those who came to arrest him appeared in the garden. Then we know that Jesus was arrested and he was bounced around from one court to another until early the next morning. Then we know that he was beaten and he was crucified and ultimately he died on the cross. He died in your place and he died in mine because of our sins. And so we come to this table today with the two simple things of a cup of juice and a small piece of bread to remember what Jesus has done for us. See, Jesus inaugurated the Lord's Supper for his disciples then and for his disciples now, which is you and me as we believe in Jesus Christ, so that we would remember him, to remember his death and the sacrifice that he made. The third observation I make about the Lord's Supper today is the Lord's Supper is a symbolic reminder of our faith. In the same way, verse 25 says, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Drink it to remember me. This is my body. This is my blood. Sometimes I think people are confused about that. And Jesus talked earlier in his ministry about he was the bread of life. And he talked about uh, that through people eating his body and drinking his blood that then they would be saved. And a lot of people have been confused about that. My personal belief is that these elements of the cup of juice and the piece of bread do not literally become the body and the blood of Christ. Some denominations, they do believe that. Others believe that it is a, a um, presence of Christ. Our tradition, long-standing in our Baptist faith has been that they are symbolic of the blood, body and blood of Jesus Christ. And I don't say mere symbolic because these symbols are powerful. 
Now you hold that small piece of bread and you remember spiritually that it represents the body of Christ. And you hold that small cup of juice and you're reminded of the fact that it is symbolic of the blood of Jesus that was shed for our forgiveness from our sins. And we find that these symbols are very powerful and they are meaningful in our life. It's just like for me, anytime I see any disregard or disgrace for our flag, it just bothers me. Because that flag stands for liberty, it stands for freedom, it stands for America. It stands for the home of the free and the home of the brave. And, it's, and, and, and it excites my emotions when I see that flag. And for someone to disgrace it, it bothers me. So symbols can be powerful when we understand them rightly. And so today we see two symbols. They should stir our hearts to remembrance, the bread and the cup. And then the fourth reminder that I have about our meal together today is that Lord's Supper is a statement of faith. Our text said, for whenever you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now, whenever we partake of the Lord's Supper, we always say, I always say to you, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you've confessed your sins, you know you're forgiven, you're a follower of Jesus Christ, and you're in good relationship with God and your fellow man, then you're invited to partake of this meal, whether you are a member of Spring Valley or not. If you're a guest and you're a believer, we encourage you to celebrate the Lord's Supper with us. But at the same time, when we come to take of these elements, we also need to do an inventory and an examination of our own life. Paul goes on to say in verse 28, a person ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. In other words, you need to look at your life quite seriously. I read this week about the state employment office uh, in Tucson, Arizona, posted a sign over a full-length mirror, and the sign simply asked this question, would you hire this person? You look in that mirror, you're there looking for a job, you look in that mirror, you see yourself, and you read that sign, would you hire this person? Look at your own life today and ask, am I spiritually right to partake of the Lord's Supper and to share in the bread? And the cup as I remember the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. What does it mean to take unworthy of of the Lord's Supper? Well, it could mean that you've got unconfessed sin somewhere in your life. It means that you're just going through the motions as you partake of the Lord's Supper. It has no meaning for you. You know, you, you, you don't feel anything significant about the sacrifice that Jesus made for you and the agony he experienced on the cross. And so as we prepare our hearts to partake of the Lord's Supper, then we should confess our sins, remember the sacrifice of Jesus. We should be thankful for our salvation, and we should be humbled by the love of God. So today I invite you as believers and fellow followers of Christ to partake of this Lord's Supper. And as we do so, to remember the sacrifice of Jesus. That was a simple act. That the bread and cup are symbolic of the body and blood of Christ. And that we make a bold statement of faith. That we believe that Jesus Christ is our Savior and our Lord.